from three weeks ago of agreeing in Christ. My last sermon was supposed to be verses 1 through 7, but we only made it through verse 5, so we're going to catch up with 6 and 7 and then do 8 and 9 this morning. So, uh, if you are there, I invite you to stand with me because we're just going to read the word to start our time together. I'm going to actually go back to verse 1 and read verse 1 through 9 for us. So follow along with me if you will. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have heard and received, or learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Father God, we do again now turn to you, Lord, in desperation and in faith, knowing that we are in desperate need of you and your truth and your spirit to illuminate the truth into our hearts and into our minds. And God, we are coming before you in faith, knowing that you are a good God who has promised to work this out in us. Your word never comes unto us and returns back unto you void. For the purposes which you send it forth are always accomplished. So accomplish your great will in us this morning as we sit under your word. For the glory of Christ we ask. Amen. Let's be seated. So in our last time together, uh, we found that Paul has now reached the climax of his letter to the Philippian church. It is here in the first few verses of chapter 4 that Paul identifies an issue of conflict within the church for which he wrote this letter. Yodia and Syntyche, two prominent servants within the body of believers, were at odds with one another. And it was wreaking havoc on the whole body. It was threatening the whole body of believers there in Philippi. And this division then in the body was then threatening their witness in the community. It was undermining the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they proclaimed the truth, they weren't living it out. So it was being undermined. So Paul utilizes all that he has written thus far in the letter, which he has been building towards this confrontation, the confrontation of the issue that we looked at two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And he uses all that he has taught thus far in the book to deal with it. Paul starts in verse 1. We're going to review and catch up. We said he starts with a word hug. From himself to the Philippian believers whom he identifies as his brothers, his joy and crown. And lastly, he calls them his beloved. And again, this is the motivation for his audience to follow in obedience with what he is about to say. Why? Paul says, listen to me. Why? Why should they listen? Because he deeply cares. He deeply cares for them. 
He then tells them all to stand firm in the Lord. Then, when addressing Yodia and Syntyche by name, he entreats them to agree in the Lord. Because of this, we discussed how it is the Lord and in the Lord that we are united as a body of believers. If we want to be united, we must make the Lord central in our lives. The truths that He has taught us in His Word, that is what unites us, not our different preferences. He humbled Himself for us out of love. He was right, completely right, and we were wrong, completely wrong. Yet He set aside His right as God and gave Himself up for us. How much more then should we give ourselves for Him and for one another? Whether we think we are right or not, if there's conflict between us and another, we must live like Christ, humbly as servants for Him by serving one another. And this is no easy task. He asked uh, his true companion, it says in the text, most likely a leader in the church and others who were in the church as well, to help Yodia and Syntyche put aside their differences so that they would agree in the Lord. And then we had three things that we covered as Paul gives advice for them on how to pursue unity. First, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says, always worship Jesus together. (laughs) Set your thoughts and your emotions and your affections on worshiping the Christ. Remember who He is. Remember what He has done for you as individuals and what He has done for you corporately in bringing us together to make us more like Christ, to sanctify us and make us holy. He has unified us in Himself through the shedding of His blood. So rejoice. Worshiping together helps bring us together and it helps us cast off those things that so easily ensnare us, those things that so easily lead us astray. Number two, he says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. So remember the gospel message is at stake. We must live the truth of the gospel. If we are sinners and an all-holy God became flesh so that he could die, so that we might live experiencing Forgiveness for our wrong and giving us a new life where we follow after this God-man, Jesus Christ. If all of this is true, then we just can't not get along with one another. We can't hold things against one another. It completely undermines the message. Our reasonableness, the reasonableness of our faith and the message that we believe is at stake in the way that we treat one another. This world is looking. It's watching. Number three, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. We close with this encouraging truth, this encouraging thought last time. Jesus is near to his people. Jesus is near to his people. He's helping. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So what might seem impossible to you, Yodia and Syntyche, what might seem impossible to us, how are we ever going to get along? Believe that it's always possible with God. Christ is near. He is an ever-present help. So this point here then, Jesus is near, the Lord is at hand, leads us right into our text for this morning in verse 6. The Lord is near should 
result in practical peace in our lives. That's what we're going to find. In verse 7, it says this, And the peace of God, or the peace which comes from God, that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a peace that only God possesses, and He is willing to give it to us. It's a peace that comes from Him. Why does it come from Him and from Him alone? Well, Philippians 4.9 identifies God as the God of peace. It says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God wants to give His people a practical peace. A peace between one another that this world can observe. And they can see the truth of the gospel in us. The God of peace wants us to have peace. So again, because the God of peace is near, and that is what we need in the text, peace, peace inside the body, or peace among these two ladies who are fighting and causing the whole church to divide. So they need peace there. But also remember, this church needs peace because there is opposition coming from outside. Remember that? Persecution against the church. Philippians 1. Talk to us about the opposition that Paul faced when he was there in Philippi and that they heard that he's still facing as he's now imprisoned in Rome, they are experiencing the same persecution. For God has granted to us not only to believe in Him, He's gifted us not only salvation through faith, but also to suffer for His name's sake. So they're facing opposition and division within in which they need peace. And they are also getting opposition from outside. There's a struggle going on. And I would just say this, those two things, don't overlook them. As I was thinking through this, and thinking through practically in my own life, these two things are probably linked, right? How many times do we go through our day, do we go to work, we go throughout our life and there is stress? There's things going on in our life. And then we get home and everything's just peachy keen. Now, oftentimes we bring that struggle home and it breeds conflict. Hey, there is an outside opposition happening. And it's probably really hard and it's bringing a lot of stress. And these ladies are struggling over something that is not central to doctrine. We observed that two, three weeks ago. So these things are linked. Now, understand this. Modern psychology, B.F. Skinner, if you're a follower of his or modern psychology, it would tell us that what needs to then happen is we need to change the environment. You're a product of your surroundings. You're a product of what's going on. You can't blame these two ladies for fighting. Look at what they're going through. I mean, can you imagine the anxiety that they must have? Can you imagine the stress? It's only natural for them to have this pent-up anxiety which breeds anger and strife between one another and it's breaking up the church. I mean, give them a break. And I tell you this, this is why the worldview that psychology offers this world is wrong. Because it starts with a premise that there is no God. And that man is inherently good. Therefore, we're the victims. And we're just suffering because of our circumstances. And if we could only change the situation, 
to be more ideal so that there wouldn't be pressures and burdens on people, then we could get all the bad stuff to go away. And if you don't know anything about psychology, just listen to what I just said and look at what's going on in the world today. And that is exactly what society is trying to do. Destroy everything in its foundations because that's the problem. Change the situation and you'll help people. It's a false worldview based on there is no God and man is inherently good. Well, the Bible says we bring the bad stuff. It's our hearts that are desperately wicked. And the world is fallen because of us. Also remember, Jesus entered into this fallen world and was tempted in all ways that we are, right? Yet without sin. It's not the circumstances that determine our actions. It's our belief our belief and the choices that we make because of what we choose to believe. So with this in mind, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, change the circumstance. He goes right to the heart. And he says this, a bold command, it's a command, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. I say that's bold because when I read that, and I think when you read that too, we go, oh my goodness, how can I not be anxious? (laughs) It's so natural. I mean, how many of us who have a good head on our shoulders who are Wolverine fans, were suffering through anxiety yesterday. Nobody? (laughs) Okay, but there's a point to what I just said, and it's coming later, okay? It seems like it's the core of us. Don't covet. Man. Philippians 4, 6, though, says, do not be anxious. What this means, what Paul is actually stating here, is that they are in a continual state of anxiety. They actually are anxious. And he's calling them out. He's calling out what's wrong. This is something that they're struggling with, and they have been struggling with. And again, as sin begets more sin... I do believe that it's overflowing into this division that's happening among the people. But the answer is not change the circumstance. The answer is identify what sin is and understand that there's a way out. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything, beloved. This means that to be anxious about anything is sin. It's never okay to be consumed with anxiety. Does this help you understand how prone to wander we are? Does this bring to your mind just the depravity? It's so normal. Anxiety is a lack of believing the truth. It's a lack of trusting in God. Now he who is without sin cast the first stone. Every person in this room should be gripped 
with the reality of this text, of what Paul is commanding us. What God is through Paul, I should say. But I think the major point here that I'm trying to get to is we're desperately sinful. And I tell you this, if I was going through life-threatening persecution like what they're going through, I know I would be anxious. I confess it to you. I've gone through relational strife in the body. Have you? In those times that I went through it, there was stress. But know this truth. What the text is telling us is that we choose the anxiousness. We choose to be anxious. And we can choose to have peace. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a command, which means we can actually obey God in this. God is not calling us to something that he is not going to equip us to do. Okay? I want to know how. Do you want to know how? I want to know how. He says this, but in everything, but in everything, do you see the contrast that's going on here between anything and everything? Be anxious about nothing. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is the answer. Prayer is the answer. Well, why is prayer the answer? Prayer is the answer because God is the answer. The truth of God is the answer. Our trust in the promises of God is the answer. Our heart's desire for the things that God says, this is what's best for you, Larry. Not what this world says, not what your heart might long for, but what I say is what's best. And your trust and belief in that and desiring to follow it and say, God, I long for this. I believe you give me that which is best. I will so settle for nothing but that which is best, yourself. Prayer is the answer because God is the answer. Now, when I went through this, to be honest with you, this was probably in my own heart the greatest place in my study in this of my sense of guilt. Why am I anxious? God says prayer is the answer. What does that mean? <laughs> now we feel really guilty, right? We go to Paul and we say, Paul, I'm anxious. There's outside persecution. There's inside the church division. Anxiety is all throughout. There's division. Help us, Paul. Why are we so anxious? And Paul simply says this, well, how's your prayer life? What are you trusting in? How close are you to God? You see, beloved, the Bible is not just a bunch of true statements that we intellectually believe, but it's a way of life. God is a person. Salvation is a reorienting of our lives into a correct relationship with God, a person. He's meant to be experienced in relationship. The Christian life is not just a bunch of a list in these boxes that we're checking off, do's and don'ts. Well, I did my Christian stuff for the day. No, life is a correct relationship with God, the God of the universe, a relationship that is led by truth, the truth of who He is. And then my response to that truth, it's meant to be lived and experienced in obedience. 
It needs to be wrestled with and felt. So do we want peace? Then pray. Wrestle in your life. Wrestle in the Christian life. Cry out to God for help. Let your prayers be filled with truth. Go to Scripture and wrestle with the text. And cry out to God and say, God, form these things within me. And then go and make it your every heart's desire to go and to do what God says you are to do. Trusting that he will enable you. We must engage relationally with God in prayer. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul uses three words to describe prayer here. The first word, prayer, is the most general term from which we see prayer used in the scriptures. So it's kind of a blanket prayer. And supplication then. Supplication is a petition. It's a need that I have, and I'm asking God to fulfill it. And I just misspoke, actually, <laughs> because I said it's a need that I have, and I'm asking God to fill it. This word for supplication is used 36 times in the New Testament. 34 of those times is talking about supplications, going to the God and asking him for needs. 34 of them have nothing to do with me. And it's asking for God to bless others. What do others need? There's no self in this text. It's the exaltation of God in serving others. He then uses the word requests at the end. Let your requests be made known to God. This actually identifies the type of supplications and prayers. It tells us to be specific, to be detailed. Understand this. God takes joy when his people ask him and involve him in our lives and tell him about the details of our lives. When we go to Scripture and we see the details and we want those details and we say, God, give it to me. Work it out this way in my life. So we must then ask the question, okay, so this is prayer, supplications, requests, be specific, but what exactly are we asking for? In the literal verse, it's not specific. It doesn't specify. So it's an open invitation to us in our lives, which is great. But I will encourage you with this. This text and these verses, they're not an island unto themselves. Do you understand what I mean by that? There is a context that is going on in the surrounding verses. There is a book surrounding this text. And I would sum it up this way. What are we asking for? Number one, a growing love for God. A growing love for God that's based on truth. A growing love for God. Number two, growth in Christ Manifests, it, manifests itself in practical love for one another. We want practical love for one another. We want to grow in love for God and we want to grow in love for one another. Now again, this is not a feeling. It can be a feeling, but it's not only a feeling. This is an action. Love is a verb. Right? Right, Mr. Smith? Love that song. (laughs) 
growing in love for God and in love for one another. Ask that Christ, these two things can be summed up in this. Ask that Christ would be formed in us. The love that the Son has for the Father and the devotion of life for the Father, which is lived out in His devotion and love for us. Love God, love one another. Be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Number three, then, the book can be summed up in these things, the furtherance of the gospel. When we know God more and we love Him more, and we love one another more, this creates unity and it shows the reasonableness of our faith and the gospel increases. This is why Paul talks so much in chapter 1 about we're partners in the gospel. There's a mission that we have. And everything that we do together as a church is about the increase of that mission. When this is our prayer, when we're praying for these things, when our hearts are centered on truth and we truly want the better ways of God in truth, and we ask God for them, God answers our prayers. He will give you that which is best. And regardless of the circumstances, you know what you have? Peace. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How are we asking? We're asking with thanksgiving. Why can we ask with thanksgiving? Why can we be thankful in all circumstances? Thankful for even at times there's strife going on in the church. There's opposition from outside coming in. We, we think about that and we're like, we shouldn't be thankful for that. Yes, we can. Because God has a greater plan and a greater good. And he wants to work it out in us. And at times we have to go through those things and open ourselves up to others and rub against each other and all of our flaws so that we can learn to be more like Jesus. In prayer, we are focusing on the Lord's goodness, His character, His ability to answer. And let me tell you this, He promises to satisfy so we can be thankful because we know God has a greater plan a greater good and we know that he promises to satisfy that plan and that good 1 John 5.15 says and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the request that's that word, the request, the specific things that we ask for and that we asked of him. John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus himself said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In the name of Jesus Christ means according to his character. <clears throat> According to his will, according to who he is, the truth. If we ask according to that, he will do it every time. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What are the desires of your heart? The delights of the Lord. Okay? So what do you want? What are the desires of your heart? Delight yourself in the Lord. Want what He wants for you. And He'll give it to you. 
Commit your way to the Lord, verse 5 of Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Paul modeled this. He modeled this whole prayer that he's telling us in chapter 4. He modeled it in chapter 1. And Pastor Bob unknowingly quoted it for us this morning during his prayer time. (laughs) So we're going to hear it again. (laughs) Because we can't get enough of it. Philippians 1.3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God. There's the thanksgiving. Why is he thankful? These are people who are not unified. There's division in the church, right? There's things going on that are wrong. And yet he says, I'm thankful for you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul prayed to God for the Philippian believers, an anxious group that were struggling with unity. And he prayed for them with joy and with thanksgiving, having confidence that God would answer his prayer for them. As as you go down through the prayer, it's a prayer of love, a growth in love for one another, a growth in the truth. Well, if they're not doing it right now, why does he have so much joy? Why can he thank God? Because Paul's confidence is not in the Philippian believers. His confidence is in the power of the gospel to transform lives. His confidence is in the Lord. The God of peace was going to bring his guarding peace into their lives. This is the result. I'm sure of this, verse 6, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It's a work that's happening. There's a trajectory that's happening in the lives of the Philippian believers. Glory awaits. And they're not perfect. But Paul is still thankful. And they're his joy and his crown. Because God is working and God will continue to work in their lives. This is the guarding peace, the result. The peace that only God can give as he guards our hearts and our minds with his truth. Remember, Paul is being guarded by Roman soldiers, right? He's chained to them 24 hours a day. Well, he's telling them, hey, there's something that guards you, believer. Same word. It's God's peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that is outside of the circumstance and it comes through prayer. I'm going to read 1 John 5.15 again. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So we ask with confidence. We ask with faith. We ask with thanksgiving knowing that God will work. Do this privately, beloved. Pray this way privately. But I tell you this, when we pray this way corporately, God will unify us. God will bring us together like nothing else. Like nothing else can. When Pastor Eric left our church. Something, a a lot of different responsibilities got kind of juggled around. And for a a brief while there, I was pushed into (laughs) the leading of our prayer group. And I tell you what, God blessed me in such a powerful way in those months that I was able to just lead our Wednesday night prayer group. 
He united my heart with believers in our church family that oftentimes I probably wouldn't rub shoulders with. People of different generations than myself. I still think of Irene Bolthouse and her dedication to showing up to prayer group every week as her body was failing, and yet she'd still sit there, and at times she couldn't even speak because she was so weak, but she'd sit with us and pray with us. And it united my heart to her. It united our hearts together. Corporate prayer of the church is so important. When we participate in prayer together, in prayers like this together, watch out world. It unifies us to our God. It unifies us to one another. And we model the gospel. Paul now turns our attention to qualities of Jesus Christ. Christ Christ-like qualities that we are to look for in one another. To focus our attention on these things. In Philippians 4, 8, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I tell you what, if we want to be divided, focus on each other's faults. If we want to be divided, focus on the negatives. Be a negative Nancy. And I hate that term. That's the beautiful name of my grandmother. And they put a negative in front of it. (laughs) I hope you hate it just as much as I do. Don't be a negative Nancy. It's not good. (laughs) We will always be divided and robbed of God's peace if we focus on negatives. Paul gives us a list here of Christ-like qualities that speaks for itself. I'm just going to read it to you. Focus, it means Direct your attention. Be intentional about focusing on these things. True. Honorable. Just. Pure. Lovely. Commendable. He then sums it up and says, If there's anything excellent, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, Set your mind on these things. We know this is a choice. If we want God's peace, this is how we get it. Don't focus on the faults. Focus on the Christ-like character qualities in the church. Paul did it with the Philippian believers. That's why he was able to say, you're my joy and my crown. My beloved. They had faults. Remember this. Why do we focus on the shortcomings of others? Because of pride. We focus on the shortcomings of others because, man, does it make us feel good because we're not as bad as they are. Right? It exalts ourselves over others and always remember come back again to Christ who is exalted who is right humbled himself and he served others we then who are sinners must live with each other in a gracious and understanding way seeking to focus our attention on the things that honor God in each other's lives look for Christ's likeness in one another point it out If you're struggling in a relationship with someone else, pray with them and focus on how God is honored in them. This is agreeing in the Lord. This is standing firm in the Lord with one another. The things of this world don't matter. The frustrations that we have against one another, things that are not doctrinal issues, they don't matter. And if there's sin... We can deal with the sin and forgive. I want to 
close with an example of this so that you understand. I have six kids, right? And I tell you what, my wife is super woman. She is a stay-at-home mom. She's a homeschooler of four while she takes care of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. She takes care of our house. She teaches our children the truths of the Lord. And I tell you this, my children are a delight. You might disagree with me, but I think my children are an absolute delight. I love being with them. And do you know why? It's because of my wife. It's because she invests so much of God's word into them and into their lives. I love Awana here. I do. I love the program. It's great for memorizing scripture. In our home, Awana could go away because Naomi has the kids memorizing scripture every single time they get in trouble. She's picking out scriptures for them to memorize so that they know how to respond. What does God's word say? And you want to know what? There's times when I come home and I don't think about what God is doing in my wife. And I don't think about how he's using her in profound ways. And how he saved her. And she is a child of God. An heir with me of the grace of God. And I take her for granted. And I come in with all those six kids. And I'm like, man, why is the house messy? And I'm like, man, how, how come things just aren't getting put back into the places that they need to get put back into? Is that sinful? that's that's what that's what really yeah i'm sorry (laughs) it's sinful for me to say that thank you because i'm not focused on what's true on what's honorable I'm not focusing on the things that are pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. And I'm selfish and I can tear her down. And, and the reality is, is that's, that's my heart. Men, ladies, that's our hearts. And I can go home and be in a mood and I've got to fight against that. I've got to know that's me in my flesh, and that God has saved me and renewed me, and I'm now a child of God, and I need to walk according to the reality of who I am. So I fight against that flesh. I fight against those ideas. And the way I do it is I fill my mind with, wait a minute, God, what's truth? What's most important? Will my children be with you and with me in glory? That's what's important. And she's doing everything to see that done. How can I get frustrated with a baseball mitt in the wrong area of the house? And we all get it, right? Do we get this? It's so practical. It's every day fighting, running with endurance. Focus our attention on what matters, church. Paul modeled this to to the Philippians. He says it in verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard in me and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will bring peace, practical peace in our relationships, peace in our hearts. And this shows the reasonableness of our faith then. It honors God. Relational unity in the church is so important. It's so important. It's a major theme of this epistle. We modeled the love of Jesus unto this world through our love for one another. 
It's so important. Let us work at it with all of our might in our homes, with one another here at KBC. Let us truly care for one another the way Paul cared for the Philippians. Let's worship in spirit and in truth together and thank God for when we can do that together. Let's live the truth out of the gospel into each other's life. Let's be encouraged. Our Lord is near. He's our help. And this week, let's endure in prayer. Let's pray more. Pray more together. Pray in everything. And focus our minds on the things that bring unity and peace in the church. And God will be glorified. And his kingdom will increase. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you, God, for at times laying us open and laying us bare. And as Brian made it clear, revealing our sin, you are good and gracious in revealing, God, our need. And you have given your son, Jesus, the propitiation for our sins, fully satisfying the wrath of you, Father. Your wrath that we deserve, you fully satisfied it in your Son when he died on the cross and you rose from the dead to give us a new life. Those who have faith in Jesus are born again. Help us to live the born-again life. Help us to be unified as a church family and model unto this world the truth of the gospel. May it be ever-present in our minds. May it be ever-present in our actions towards one another. God, strengthen our homes with the gospel. And look out world. For we know that Christ will build his church through his church, through us. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do this for the glory of Christ's name. We ask and pray. Amen.